Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. Just wanted to give you a quick recap from last week because we're going to need it to kind of launch into the rest of the passage. Last week, we took a look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 1. Verse number 1, if you have your Bibles there, I want you to look at that verse together with me. That's kind of the theme for this section of the scripture we're going to take a look at. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 1 says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So the passage is sitting in the context of this book. And the book context is, we live in perilous times. Perilous times are not coming. Perilous times are here. So what do you do in perilous times? Or what hope do we have in perilous times. Well, God tells us at the end of chapter number three, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it tells us that that scripture is given to us that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. So what God is saying is, I have given you some powerful tools that will help you to handle the perilous times that you live in. And verse number one here reiterates that. He's saying, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. If we're going to make it through perilous times, we can only do it through the strength of God that is found in the grace of God. So that's why we need to be strong in grace. And these next verses tell us in what areas we must be successful in if we will be successful in perilous times. Last week, we took a look at being a teacher at being successful in being a teacher. Because Paul is saying in verse number two, the things that I've given to you, I want you to give it to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. We have the precious word of God, amen? And in the word of God, we have the gospel. The gospel is what saves. The gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection. That must be passed on to the next generation, amen? It has to be passed on. We cannot let the next generation live without at least the knowledge of the gospel. We can't make them to be saved, but we can give it to them. And we give it to them by giving the gospel and trusting it to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now, how is it that this Bible that's been written thousands of years ago has lasted and continued until today? It is by the power of God. God has given us his grace and has entrusted the word of God to his church so that we would teach others also so the next generation can also have the word. And that's what we took a look at last week. If we're going to make it through perilous times, we've got to be good teachers. We've got to teach it. We've got to teach it here in the church. We've got to make sure that these little ones that are growing up, that they hear the word of God, that they be saved, that they grow, and they're raised in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. As parents, we've got great responsibilities, amen? As parents, that's our responsibility. God has given to us these wonderful little children, and God has placed as part of that blessing the responsibility. I've got to raise them up. I've got to teach them the word of God when they're lying down and when they get up, when we're walking through the house, when we go to the grocery store, when we're sitting down and relaxing in our homes, we've got to pass it on to the next generation. So we've got to be teachers, and God gives grace so that we can be good teachers. 
The second role, which is really point number one today, but continuation of last week, is the soldier. The soldier. Last week we saw we got to be teachers. Today we're going to take a look at how we need to be soldiers. Verse number three, thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. God has given us strength so that we might be soldiers for him. Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. If you know Ephesians chapter 6, it talks about the armor of God. We are in a spiritual battle. We must be equipped with armor, so we must be strong in the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. See, we are fighting not a physical battle. We are fighting a spiritual battle. And we must win these spiritual battles. They are important. They are vital for us as Christians. There is this fight that God has put before us, and it means that we've got to endure hardness. We've got to be patient and push through the difficult times. Because if you're going to be a soldier, you know there's going to be some suffering and difficult times that come in your life. Right? That's part of being a soldier. You never know what's going to come your way, the adversity, the difficulties, the pain. Now, how many of you like pain? How many of you enjoy pain? How many of you, if you've ever broken a bone, felt like, wow, that feels great. Let me do it again. Let me break another bone. I mean, nobody, right? Nobody enjoys pain. Nobody likes suffering. Nobody likes to go through the difficult times. And yet, Paul, he went through great suffering. Peter went through great suffering. Many Christians have chosen the life that they knew would cause pain and suffering in their life. Winston Churchill was made the prime minister in 1940. In 1940, he was made the prime minister of England, and he gave a speech shortly thereafter. And in it, he gave this very famous line to the nation of England, I have nothing to offer but blood, toil, tears, and sweat. Not exactly the most encouraging message you've ever heard, right? Imagine the leader of your country says, all right, the thing that I have to offer you, citizens of this wonderful nation, I have nothing but toil, tears, sweat, and your blood. That's all I have to offer. You'd be like, wow, this guy's terrible at it being an encouragement. Well, what kind of leader is this guy? But he says, why? That's all he has to offer. We have before us an ordeal of the most grievous kind we have before us many, many long months of struggle and of suffering. You ask, what is our policy? I can say it is to wage war by sea, land, and air with all our might and with all our strength that God can give us to wage war. This is our policy. What is our aim? I can answer in one word. It is victory. We as Christians need to fight and endure suffering so that we might win. Christians, we've got to win. Amen? Amen? This is not something where like, ah, it's okay if we lose this game, right? If you're a big sports fan, let's say you're a baseball team, you, you got a favorite baseball team, you got a favorite basketball team, 
You would like to win every game, but you're okay with losing some games, right? If you're a baseball fan, you might win two out of three games. You say, that's a pretty good series. I'm okay with that, right? You might be okay with that. You might be okay with losing games here and there, but as Christians, we've got to have the attitude that we have to win. We have to win. And that's why we should be willing to go through some difficult times because we have to win. Therefore, what he says in verse number four is this, no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. He's saying that the soldier must always be free in order that he might fight so that he might win. See, I think that's one of the big struggles in America that we have today, which is it's so easy to get entangled with all the affairs of this life. It's so easy to get entangled with everything that social media kind of puts up in your face. It's so easy to get caught up in the rat race of getting more and making more money and being more successful and doing all of these things. And it's so easy to get caught up in what everybody else is doing. But we are soldiers in a battle. And we've got to win this fight. And what Paul is saying is, Timothy, you're in a fight. You're in a battle. And you've got to win. So don't entangle yourself in the affairs of this life. Don't get so caught up that other things become more important than God. See, it starts off easy. It starts off simple. But then day after day, it grows and it grows and it grows. I remember when I was in elementary school, middle school, high school, I played soccer. I played soccer. And uh, this is, uh, I don't know why it is, but uh, so I grew up in the Seattle area. As you know, in the Seattle area, it rains a lot. You know what the most popular sport in, in, in Seattle area is? It's soccer. You know where they play soccer? Outside, in the rain. I don't know why that is, but everybody plays soccer. So we would run around these, you know, soccer fields. There's these massive puddles like all over the place in the middle of the field, and they would tell us to go out there and run. And so we would run, we would kick the ball, and we'd run around these puddles and around, around these big lakes, and we would play. And, you know, we'd have practice like on Tuesday and Thursday, and we might have games on Saturday. That's kind of the, the system that, it was, that was in place. We did that elementary school, middle school, high school. When I got into high school, they started making some changes. They started making some changes, and what they did, and I'm sure this happens in a lot of other sports as well, perhaps not every sport, but they started moving half of the games from Saturday to Sunday. Now we have a choice. Now we have a choice. What's more important? What are you going to do? Now you have two things in your life that are important, but now they're competing. Which one's going to win? Which one's going to win? And as Christians, when the Bible says, as it says here in verse number three, no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, we've got to make sure our priorities are in the right place. We've got to make sure that what's number one is number one. Soldiers know what's most important in their life, right? Their commanding officer says, you're doing this, guess what? That's the most important thing. And we have a commander in our life, and his name is Jesus Christ. We have somebody who is an authority over us, and his name is the Lord. 
No man that entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who had chosen him to be a soldier. See, this is the mentality of the soldier that God wants for us to have. Because remember, we live in perilous times. We live in difficult times. And if we're going to win, we've got to have the mentality of the soldier. You know what the mentality of a soldier is? They're going to please him who has called him. You know who's called us? It's the Lord. If we're going to win in perilous times, our number one priority needs to be, I want to please the Lord. I want to please the Lord. Matthew chapter 25, verse number 21 says, His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. See, that's the heart. That's the mentality. I want to do what my Lord has told me to do. Now, here's the thing about people, about us. There is a strong desire to please other people, right? We have a desire to please other people. You can see it all throughout the Bible. You can see it in the lives of your friends. That is an integral character trait of the fallen man, to please others. But as we grow in the Lord, guess what? Our desire to please others is surpassed by our desire to please God. See, this word that we ought to please God is the same phrasing that is used in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 when it talks about the husband pleasing the wife. But he that is married careth for the things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. Wives, do you want your husbands to make you happy, to be there for you, to do things for you? Of course you do. Is it their duty to do that? Yes. yes. <laughs> so if you're, is it? I don't know. <laughs> yes, it is. Did you know that my wife did not have to marry me? Did you know that? I know it sounds incredible, but she chose to marry me. Amen. <laughs> right? And I chose to marry her. Because of that relationship, shouldn't there be a desire in me? I want to please her because she chose me. She could have chosen anybody else, but she didn't. She chose me. Because she chose me, I should, I should have that desire to please her. Right? Right? That's natural. That makes sense. Here is somebody who chose me. Guess what? Did you know that God has chosen you? Hey, if you're saved, God chose you? Now, I've been on the opposite end of not being chosen. I remember when I was a kid, we would go out, and I went to a private school for a couple of years, during recess time, we would go out there and we would play sports. We would play basketball, we played soccer, we played different sports, and uh, we would do the whole thing. We would have two captains and everybody would line up on the curb, right? And the captains would go down the line, all right, I want Jimmy on my team, all right, I want John on my team, you know? And inevitably, you get down to the last two people. You have the last two people. The first captain says, all right, Jimmy, come over here. And I've been on that opposite end where I'm, I'm the last one on the curve, right? 
I was, I, was the, I was the youngest out of everybody in my grade. I was the smallest out of everybody in my grade. So I've been there where I'm standing there at the very last moment. And you know what the other guy, that captain, he has no choice. All right, Richard, come here. <laughs> right? That doesn't feel good. But you know, in the Christian life, God never says to any of his children, all right, come over here, Richard. Did you know that God's saying, Richard, I want you. Come over here. I got something special for you. Hey, if you have a God that desires to have you, who are we? Who are we that God would choose us, and yet God has desired that we would be on his team serving in his army, therefore that ought to stir in us the desire, as we see here, that we ought to please God. Hey, that's the most important thing. When you come here to church, I hope that your attitude is, I'm not here to please my dad. I'm not here to please my mom. I'm not here to please my spouse. I'm here to please God. Hey, that's so important in the Christian life. I know that there's a lot of things going out there in the world. I know there's a lot of things that are said out on the news. But if we're going to have victory, if we're going to make it through perilous times, our attitude ought to be one of a soldier, which is, I'm here to please God. You ought to make your decisions based on that criteria. Does this please God or not? Hey, we're soldiers. We're facing perilous times. If we're going to win, we must please God. We've got to have that mentality. That's another role that we've got to have. We've got to win in this area. We've got to be teachers. We've got to be soldiers. Thirdly, we see we've got to be athletes. Verse number five. And if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned, except he strive lawfully. So the word here, strive for masteries, comes from the Greek word athleo, which is the word that we use for athlete. So he's saying, if a man will be an athlete, that's basically what he's saying, if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned. So Paul is comparing the Christian life to sports, all right? I feel justified every time I give a sports analogy now because Paul did it, and it's biblical. It's there in the Bible. So here we have it. The contest of the athlete. The contest of the athlete is that you must strive. You have to labor. And the difference between first and second places in an athletic event is not always a matter of talent. Right? You've heard about the story of the tortoise and the hare. The hare doesn't always win. Sometimes it's the tortoise. There's a number of situations where the less talented individual still won because he was persistent. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 says this, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain an inc a, a, a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself also should be a castaway. So, We've taken a look at these different roles. The first is we've got to be teachers. I have something that God has given to me, doctrine, knowledge, the gospel, and I have to pass it on to somebody else. 
We've also seen this role of being a soldier. We've got to be soldiers, and the desire is to please God. This third aspect is one of being an athlete, and we've got to treat the Christian life like you would a race, like you would in a sports contest. So what are we competing against, though? Because we're not competing against each other. Amen? We're not competing against each other. Who are we competing against? Because we're fighting spiritual battles. Verse number, uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 6. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. There is a spiritual battle that we are facing, and for every Christian, we see it in Galatians 5. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are the contrary, the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. So you have a spiritual battle within yourself, a battle between the spirit and your flesh, and your spirit has to win. All right? Your spirit has to win. If we're facing perilous times, if we're going to be successful, your spirit has to win. And when your spirit wins, then you can have victory in the external life. But God gives to us a criteria, except he strive lawfully. Sports has rules. And if you break the rules, the referee will blow the whistle. Right? If he blows the whistle, it doesn't matter what happens after that point, it doesn't count, right? If you are playing football, you grab the ball, you run out of bounds, guess what? The referee's gonna blow the whistle, you went out of bounds. Now, it doesn't matter if you keep running and you go all the way into the end zone, none of that counts because you broke the rule, right? If you foul somebody in basketball and you dunk the basketball, it goes in, but none of that counts. You don't get points for that, why? Because you broke the rules. You know what God is saying to us as well? We've got to treat the Christian life like you would a sport in terms of there are rules. There are rules. And we've got to follow the rules. We've got to follow the rules. That's why you as a Christian need to obey the word of God. You have to. Not just others. Not just your pastor. Not just everybody, because we're on a team together, amen? amen? We're a church together. And if we're going to work together as a team, we've got to play within the rules. If we're going to be successful as a church, if you as an individual Christian are going to be successful, you've got to follow the rules. You've got to obey the word of God. Because there are no prizes for those that break the rules. Right? That makes sense. As a Christian, we should follow the rules because there is a reward. That's the attitude. And if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned, except he strive lawfully. What God is telling to us is, let me tell you what, there's a reward at the end of every road for the Christian if you will follow me. That's why we follow God. See, God has a reward for you. God has a prize for you. You don't get a prize if somebody else does well, and the, and the other person doesn't get a prize if you do well. You get the prize if you strive as an athlete. So we as Christians need to have this mentality of there's a reward that God gives to those 
that serve him. That's the mentality. So we have, first of all, we've got to be teachers. You and I, we've got to teach to the next generation. If you've got kids, you have to teach them the word of God. When you're at home, you have to teach them the word of God. I have a, I have a child that will begin school this week, and I've already got in my mind what we're going to do after dinner on every school day, except for Wednesday, because on Wednesdays we come to church, after dinner, every, every school day, and I've told my child this already, this is what we're going to do. We're going to have a Bible lesson after dinner every single day of the week. Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. And Wednesday, we come to church. All right? We're going to do that. I'm going to do some other things or whatever. But this is important because I know I have to win as a teacher. I've got to win as a teacher. So I have to communicate God's truth to my children every single week, every single day. It might be something very simple, something very simple just as much as they're singing songs that they learned from Vacation Bible School. That's great. That's wonderful. They're reminded of the truths of God. Or they need to sit down with me and I'm going to teach them the word of God. We've got to be intentional about it. Just like teachers have teaching plans and they've got material and they teach. We've got to do the same. That's important. Now you might not do it after dinner. You might not do it every single day of the week. I think it's good for you and, and your family to sit around formally, informally. Teach them the word of God. We've got to teach them the word of God. We've got to teach people in our church the word of God. That's why it's important that we gather together because if we're just an online church, let's say we're doing everything online and I'm just looking at this camera and you guys are watching on your screen and uh, you get fed, you sing the songs at home and that's it. That's, that's, that's all that we do for a time that might be okay. But if we live in perilous times, we've got to teach somebody else. So we've got to meet some other people. That's why it's important that we meet together. So we've got to meet together. We've got to teach We've got to be soldiers. Hey, there's going to be some difficult times that you're going to face as a Christian. You've got to be willing to know ahead of time, I'm going to, I'm going to push through this. And as an athlete, when you begin to run or you begin to exercise, you know that difficult times will come. And so we're going to do that. The fourth area in which we must be successful is as the farmer. Verse number six, the husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. So, uh, anybody here a farmer? No farmers here, right? <laughs> All right? It used to be that everybody was a farmer. Now, like, nobody's a farmer, right? We don't farm. And what we do in farming might be, you might have a little garden here. And that's great. That's wonderful. And you'll, you'll be able to see some of these principles. But we're not really farmers, so we don't really understand some of these principles so well, right? You just, you know... People's experience with farming is when they play those video games, you know, on the screen, you know, farm building, and you click something and boop, you know, the, the plant sprouts, you know, boop, and you plant something. And, you know, that's our experience with farming. But if you've actually farmed or gardened, you know, it's not that easy, right? It's not like, all right, plant, just throw it into the ground and then boop, there it is, right? All right, fruit's coming off. That's not how it works. Because every one of us knows that farming requires fervency. It requires work. You know why there aren't more farmers? It's hard work. Some people love farming. They love that process. They love those things. That's, and, and if you're like that, great, wonderful. Most of us, though, are not like that. 
You know, I went to school in Lancaster. I went to Bible college in Lancaster. And uh, the pastor that was there, he grew up or his, his family owns a farm. I think they still own the farm. And so they would go out there and they would describe this process of farming. And I knew some people who, who grew up on a farm. And every single spring, they would walk out into the field and they would pick up all of these rocks. And it was their job, you know, when they were little kids, to pick up all the rocks and pull them off of of the field so they would have these wheelbarrows and they would wheelbarrow and they pick up all of these rocks through the whole field and then dump them on the edge of the field i mean i don't know about you that doesn't sound fun that's not my dream this that's not i want to grow up and pick up rocks for a living and pull them off the field nobody wants to do that but if you're going to win as a farmer you've got to pull those rocks off you've got to till the ground you ever tried digging you ever try digging a trench? You ever try digging into the ground? That's hard work. I don't want to do that. I want somebody else to do that. <laughs> I want to pay somebody else to do that. But God uses this word of being a farmer, of being a husbandman, to describe to us the kind of work that is necessary in order that we might find fruit. So, Remember in the Gospels, there was this parable of the sower and the seed? Remember how there's somebody sowing out into the field? There's a huge process that goes in before you begin to plant the seed. One of them is you've got to go in the spring, pull out all of the rocks, and throw them onto the edge. Then you've got to plow the entire field, all right? If you were wealthy, of course, you would have oxen and you have servants to do that. If you weren't so wealthy, you might have one or two animals, and then you would have to get on that plow yourself. And you'd have to plow that ground and pull up all and turn over all of that soil. It's a lot of work before you even take any of your seed and put it into the ground. Now, what that means for you and for me as Christians is before we even see any of the kind of external, visible, exciting parts of the Christian life, sometimes there's a lot of hard work that goes in ahead of time. There's a lot of hard work that goes in in advance. What does that mean for us as Christians? Sometimes what that means is, if you're going to be a good teacher, that means that you've got to study the word that you're going to teach. Amen? If we're going to be good teachers, that might mean you've got to spend a lot of time yourself studying the word of God, getting into your Bible, reading it, getting some good materials. You could come and ask me. I want, to, I want to learn some of this material. And you've got to spend hours and hours and hours learning the Bible yourself before you can teach your own you know, children or people that you're teaching in your Life Connection class. I've had my children ask questions. I'm like, you know what, that's a great question. I don't know the answer to that. I got to study this out. I've had people here in the church ask me questions. And I think I know the answer, but then, you know, I'm thinking about it. You know what? I don't even know if I really know where in the Bible it even says that. And so I have to study it for myself. Being a farmer means you've got to put in the work ahead of time. Sometimes people feel like we can just show up and things will be great. But sometimes you've got to put in the work ahead of time. Vacation Bible School is a great example of that. 
we came in and we had a great vacation Bible school. These kids come in, the parents come in, maybe you came in and you're like, wow, this is great. This is wonderful. This looks, this looks awesome. But let me assure you, there was a lot of work that went in ahead of time. I mean, we were talking about this months ago and talking about things and my wife, she does the decorations. Let me tell you, every day she's always on her phone looking for ideas. Every day for months. She's looking up ideas and looking at how much do things cost. And she's, if I order from Amazon, what if I order from here? She's doing all of this work. And Brother Mike, he's, you know, all of the songs and they do all of the motions. All right. That takes work. <laughs> you got to think about it. All right. What does this mean? And how do I picture this? And, and it's great. It's wonderful. But it takes a lot of time. If we're going to be good farmers, we've got to put in the work. People wonder sometimes, why do we have a Sunday morning and a Sunday night service. You ever wonder why we have two of them? And then we've got a Wednesday night service. Part of it is, if we're gonna be good teachers, we've got to learn. We've got to learn and then we can teach. Then we've got some different programs for families and for kids on Sunday nights especially. Let me tell you one of the main reasons why we have service on Sunday nights. This is very important to me. What's important on Sunday nights is the family. We have the kids, we have the teenagers, we have the adults. You know why? We worship as a family. Amen? It's not like I worship over here and my wife worships over here and my kids worship over there. We worship as a family. We come together as a family. And I need them to learn some of the principles that they're going to need when they get older. That's why we have some of these things. That's why we have some of these programs. Farming also requires faithfulness. You've got to be consistent in farming if you will find success. You can't have up days and down days. You've got to be consistent. Galatians chapter 6, verse number 9. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Let me encourage you to be faithful. Here's the thing about farming is you put in tons of work ahead of time before you even put seed into the ground. And then you put the seed into the ground, and then you got even more work. You got to weed everything, you got to water everything, and then you begin to see this plant come out of the ground. Still, no fruit. You've got to wait and work and labor. You've got to chase off the crows and all the animals that might come in and try to eat all, everything. Work, 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 and then you get a huge harvest. Remember how the Bible talks about the parable of the sower and the seed? Some of the seed produces a hundredfold. You know basically what God is trying to say? What God is trying to say is, you put in all of this labor ahead of time, no fruit, no fruit, no fruit, no fruit, no fruit, no fruit, no fruit. And then suddenly, hundredfold fruit. You know what God's trying to help us in the Christian life is to learn and to realize faithfulness matters. You know, you might be like, I've been working and laboring and teaching and doing all of this stuff. And I just haven't seen any fruit yet. You know what God's trying to say? That's farming. That's farming. Farming is in the springtime when it's still cold. You're pulling out all of the rocks. And later on in the springtime, you're plowing up the whole field. And then you plant the seed. And then you're weeding and watering all summer long so that in August, September, no, uh, October, you begin to have that huge harvest. For us as Christians, what God is trying to help us in this area of farming, this mentality that we've got to have is just be faithful. 
You might be ministering and laboring in an area and feel like, I'm just not getting anywhere. I just don't see any fruit. I'm not seeing any progress. You know what God's trying to say? That's farming. You might labor and labor and labor and labor and labor for weeks and months and years and see nothing. And then all of a sudden, boom, a huge harvest comes. Let me encourage you to be faithful. Let me encourage you to have that mentality of a farmer. I know the harvest coming. I know it's going to be big. I know that there's, no, there's nothing right now, but it's going to be there. Farming is also removed from fellowship. You know what farmers do? They farm mostly by themselves. They farm by themselves. You don't have a group of 100 farmers all in the same field together. You just don't have that. When you're a farmer, for the most part, you farm by yourself. Very few people around sometimes. You know, as farmers, sometimes the most important work happens when you're by yourself. If you're a farmer, sometimes the most important work happens when you're alone. You know, as Christians, we, we should intuitively know that, right? Sometimes the most important work as a Christian happens not here, not on this property, not during the service time, not during the Life Connection class, not during VBS. Sometimes the most important work happens when you're by yourself at home praying. Sometimes that's the most important work you can do. Sometimes the most important work that you could do is when you're at home by yourself, maybe in the morning before your whole family's up, maybe you put the kids to bed and you're, you're, you're there, or maybe you and your wife, you, or you and your husband, and uh, you take some time to read the Bible alone, by yourself. Sometimes the most important work happens when you're out in the field all by yourself. Maybe you go to work and you're the only Christian that's there. Sometimes the most important work happens when you're at your workplace and you're a testimony for the Lord and nobody else is around to see it. Sometimes the most important work happens not here, but when you're by yourself. So we've got to make sure that what we do when we're on our own is also important. And it's all to receive this harvest. The husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. God wants you to know there's a great reward for those that labor faithfully for him. I hope that you appreciate your pastor, Pastor Choi. I don't know if you've known this, but he started this church. He's pastored this church. He's been here for 34 years in a row. Now, I've not been here for 34 years in a row. I've not known everything that happened. What I do know is that there were some difficult times in the church. I know that he faced some personal difficult times. I know that he faced some professional, if you want to put it that way. He's the pastor of the church. Difficult times. And yet he's still here. Aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you thankful that he didn't quit when he's like, all right, I, I'm putting all this time and effort into these people, and these people just backstab me and talk bad about me. All right, I'm done. 
I don't have to put up with this. Why do I have to put up with this? I'm trying to help them. I'm trying to labor for them. And all they do is talk bad about me. All right, I'm leaving. I'm going. Somebody else, you do the job. Aren't you glad he didn't do that? Aren't you glad that that person who led you to the Lord wasn't like that? When he went out and he witnessed and he was mocked and people persecuted him and they talked bad about him and maybe he was trying to be a witness at work and instead of getting that promotion that he deserved, somebody else got it because the boss didn't like what he was saying and was opposed to God and the gospel. Aren't you glad that he was continuing to be a faithful servant and a witness? Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad that Jesus, when he was being beaten and whipped and crucified, that he didn't say, why am I going through all of this for you? I don't have to put up with this. I didn't sin. I didn't commit any great iniquity. All right, I'm done. Aren't you glad he didn't quit? Aren't you glad that when you read about people in the Bible, aren't you glad that Peter, even though he had some great ups and downs, aren't you glad he didn't quit? Aren't you glad Paul, even though he was beaten, he was stoned, he was whipped, aren't you glad he didn't quit? Aren't you glad that other Christians, we can read about them in, in history, that they were killed for the faith? Aren't you glad they didn't quit? Aren't you glad for the Christians around you today that haven't quit? God says, for those that are faithful, those that serve, those that strive as an athlete according to the rules, they follow the word of God and they follow the Lord. And those that serve, even though others may not see, nobody else is around, that there is a great harvest that is waiting. Even if you're in perilous times, you know what God says? You can have great fruit. You can have great fruit despite perilous times. Did you know people can still get saved in perilous times? Did you know that people can still grow as Christians in perilous times? Did you know that God can still call people to be missionaries in perilous times? Did you know that God wants to do something great in perilous times? And what he's saying is, I'm giving you grace to do it. I'm giving you grace. Let me tell you the areas in which you need God's grace so that you might be successful and win and have victory in perilous times. You got to be a teacher. You've got to pass on what you have in the Lord to somebody else. You've got to give the gospel to somebody else. You've got to encourage them in the Lord. You've got to pass on that faith and that doctrine to somebody else. We've got to be soldiers. We're going to face some difficult times, but our priority needs to be we're going to please the Lord. We've got to be athletes. We've got to strive. We've got to follow the rules that God has given to us if we're going to be rewarded. And then we've got to be farmers. Got to be faithful. Even if you feel like ah, nothing's changed, there's no difference here. There's no fruit. Be faithful. And God says, just like a farmer will receive the first fruits, we'll receive the first fruits as well.